Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 453 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Sarah Marshall. She has uh, many great projects out there of her own, not the least of which are a couple of podcasts you are good and you're wrong about. I very much encourage you to check those out if you haven't already. And I encourage you also to give your whole heart to this episode. It was such a pleasure hanging with Sarah. And boy, I hope everybody's doing okay. Listen, I'm never going to get tired of hoping everybody's okay. But I am a little tired of hoping everybody's okay for a very specific reason that's been going on for a very long time. So I'm sure you feel as impatient as I do. And I, all that being said, do hope everybody's doing okay. Hmm. Did you watch Max Headroom when it was on television? I didn't see it. I was it, a child, but... but my dad watched it and I would watch it with him. Well, I grew up watching reruns of like designing women and stuff. Yeah. And I remember Max Headroom being referenced a lot in other sitcoms of the day because he was like a real phenomenon. Right? Yeah, because he was a Pepsi. He was he was doing Pepsi commercials in addition to having his own weird show so that pushed it over the top and i feel like a lot of people knew who he was only because of the pepsi commercials and had no idea that there was this very strange indie australian odd like kind of mad maxian show that was built around him but uh there was and i i'm sure it was terrible but at the time and I think still now, it was very, very avant-garde for the era and, and what the show was about. And I, I love it for that reason, if for no other. And he was basically like an AI guy, right? He's kind of like a funny, glitchy AI newscaster type 100%. man. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Frewer, I think Matt Frewer plays like he might be of a, a, like a cameraman for a news thing or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think he himself is like Mr. Spotlight, but mm. then something happens to him where he mm. continues to exist as himself, but there is this alter ego, Max Hedrum, who has been created, who just lives inside of the airwaves and uh, disrupts programming. And That's stuff. great because it's like a classic mad scientist tale. It's like how we got Swamp Thing. Exactly. Or, or the Hulk, exactly. for that matter. But you just become part man, part TV. And it was during the early years of the MTV era, I think, when um, there was a lot of conversation about... It was great because it was subversive in the sense that... I don't know why I'm telling you about all of this. This has nothing to do with you, and you are my special I love guest this. for this week. But this is I, a... I feel like talking about Max Headroom for 10 minutes is like the perfect way to lure me onto a show that I'm already oh, on. Oh, good! <laughs> All totally random and of the moment, but here yeah. we are. It was, there was a whole thing about the, like, the sort of the, the arc of the season was that networks were creating these quick, 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 um, little split-second sub- subliminal advertising things that were mm. happening so quickly that they were causing people to have seizures and, in some cases, heart attacks and die. So there was mm-hmm. this sense of the big corporate network commercial sort of world uh, invading people's homes and their entertainment. And so it was very, it felt very, it was very MTV era, like boom, 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 stimuli, stimuli, stimuli. And and people's heads were like blowing up and stuff. And that was, you know, sort of, um, they were bad. The good guys in that show were battling the the big. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's uh, like Videodrome, the show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think actually it is. I say that uh, having not seen Videodrome. That's Cronenberg, right? Yes. Videodrome is yeah. great. Videodrome is like the war of the future will be fought in the video arena. The Videodrome. Like, I got the feeling that David Cronenberg had a dream. The word Videodrome was in it. He wrote it on a napkin next to his bed. And then he had <laughs> to, like, right. figure out how to build a movie around that. And it's, like, it's very spooky. And it's all about this idea of, like, how is TV affecting our bodies, which actually anticipates the 5G conspiracy theories. And I'm sure people were paranoid about radio before TV even existed and were probably partly right because shooting random stuff into the atmosphere has some repercussions. Yeah, I definitely am at the age where I feel and I don't know if it's my I say this on the podcast all the time. I can't tell what is born out of my own age and the idea of now reading everything as a getting older quality, even though Mm. many of the qualities I've had my whole life, but now I'm trying to Mm -hmm. assign them to age. 
which is to say there's a lot of stuff I wasn't into as a younger person that even at the time I would have been like if YouTube had been huge when I was a teenager, I still would I don't think I would have been into it because I definitely was that analog kid who was like, I only mm. listen to the Sex Pistols or whatever. But now at the age I am, I ascribe it to like, oh, these youngsters, you know, they're just on their phones all the time. And I (laughs) constantly have to check myself. And it makes me feel better that every time I kind of go there, I do sort of mentally quickly shuffle back through history and go, yeah, everyone's always said this. Everyone's always said Mm -hmm. this. That doesn't mean one version is right or wrong or everybody's wrong or everybody's right. But like, for sure, I'm a generation where people older than me were like, these kids, they grow up in front of the television. What's going to happen to them? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. And I, it's funny because I think, I mean, that is a little bit reassuring in some outcomes because I think people who yes. grew up on TV are less easily tricked by someone putting on a tie and saying something on it. It's a good point. Were you a TV kid? Were you uh, super into? I mean, I know obviously you have a great podcast, mm-hmm. a couple of great podcasts, both of which dip into the world of media. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, live in the world of media with with You Are Good. Mm-hmm. Were you that kid that just loved consuming movies and TV and then talking about it? Oh, I totally was. Yeah. And I, I remember like something that feels very explanatory of who I was and the moment I grew up in and the way I was functioning during it was that and I think 2004 I had this jerry rigged system where I had my dad's old tv that was from the 70s so it didn't you couldn't plug a vcr into it or a dvd player or anything but I had an rf modulator which meant that I could plug that into um, a VCR and then tune the TV to like channel three or something. And then that would be the like VCR broadcast channel. And then I hooked a tape deck up to those things, oh. I think just directly to the VCR. And then that way I could record parts of the audio from a movie, like little clips that I liked and put them on mixtapes. Cause I was like <gasps> making mixtapes at a time when it was unusually late to be making mixtapes, but when it wasn't like obscenely annoying to be making mixtapes, right? Like 2004, <laughs> 2005 and into 2006. Yeah, I have somewhere, I made like monthly mixtapes my senior year of high school to remind myself what I was thinking about my senior year of high school. And I was mostly thinking about West Side Story and the soundtrack to Suspiria. But Yeah, and then I also had tapes that were just kind of the bulk of the dialogue from some movies that I liked because I really liked having my media close. And that was the way that I was doing that at that time. So I have, I don't know if it still exists somewhere among my things or if it's been lost in the magical way little things are lost. But at one time I made and listened to a tape of just like the audio of The Breakfast Club. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. The idea of you needing to collage pre-existing. Because like a journal is you you and your words and your brain and on a page, whether it's in a computer or or not. The idea of of wanting to capture, because I definitely wrote down song lyrics in my journal and would write down movie lines. But the idea of wanting the, like the thing that continues to exist in the world that you were like, I need to transform it into a different form of media and have it live in the archives of my memory. That's extraordinary. That's very cool. And it also feels like a version of Tumblr that predates Tumblr. And I think that that's one of the ways that technology, like I definitely feel alienated from the media that teenagers are interested in right now. But I think that's good. I think like generations need to understand stuff that people older than them kind of leave alone. I I don't know. I think that's part of it. And also I don't want to develop new interests all of a sudden. (laughs) I'm lazy. And, but also it's like when I think about the stuff that I was doing as a teenager, I feel like the ways that teenagers use technology usually align with like desires that I remember having, like, you know, Mm. the the way that we want to keep the media that we love as close as possible to us and like rip it up and make it into collages and like the kind of trends that 
I see now on TikTok, like reflect these like very rudimentary things that I was doing with a VCR when I was that age. That's amazing. Well, you're right, too. That, and then I, the idea of having more technology to play with where people are doing like master edits of things or put, taking their favorite song and doing a bunch of clips of their favorite movie or movies and mashing it all together and having this kind of little stew of stuff that <laughs> they feel passionate about in the moment. The so those pot tapes generation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you may or may not have, the, I mean, a monthly mixtape, that's and what what you're describing, that sounds like a lot of work. It was. I mean, I definitely I enjoyed any high effort activity that wasn't school, basically, at that point, because <laughs> it felt like reclaiming effort as a concept. And yeah, and I remember being songs that I liked intercut with little clips from movies or shows that I was watching that were in grabbable form. And I remember like it had a little sound clip from Pulp Fiction, one of them, because of course it did. And Oh, and like a part of the opening of Suspiria that I thought was really funny where this like distraught young woman is like escaping the, her scary witch ballet school in typical horror movie format. And she's talking to her friend whose house she's at. And she's like, it's all so strange. So unbelievable. Do you have a bathroom? It's just like going straight into asking for where the bathroom is in that same kind of gothic tone it was just like yeah things that I thought were really cool or funny spliced in with the music I was defining myself by at the time and what was the music that you were defining yourself by I think like a lot of or some maybe not a lot I remember my friends listening to Sigaros a lot I was sure. like less passionate about them but I, I definitely think of it as being of that time so some of that some Broadway like West Side Story, uh, musical I know you type stuff. Definitely West Side Story. Oh, probably some Wicked. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, what else did I like? Oh, I loved Bruce Springsteen. I was all about Bruce Springsteen my senior year of high school. Oh I think God, that Bruce amazing. Springsteen was like made for senior year of high school. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. And were you East Coast? Where were you a teenager? Where were you gr- growing I grew up, up in, in a TP? Uh, near Portland, Oregon, and that was where I went to high school as well. So like. Almost as far as you can get from New Jersey, but like I had this idea that Bruce Springsteen was like the patron saint of any kind of industrial area of any town in America. So I would like look at, you know, the the kind of industrial part of town that was near where my parents lived. And I was like, I bet this is what he's singing about. This is what I'm going to think about. This is as close as I've gotten so far. Yeah. Uh, Do you have siblings? I have two much older half brothers. So I grew up as an only child. An basically. only child. Yeah. I love, again, speaking of ascribing things to other things, and I've, I, I mentioned this recently, I think, on the podcast before, but it's amazing how quickly I can find a way because I absolutely am not a psychologist at all, have zero history in psychology, zero schooling, but that if someone like I would have said that the activity you were describing seemed only childlike to mm-hmm. me. But also, had you said, like, well, I was the middle child, I probably would have been like, oh, classic middle child behavior. <laughs> there you were. Do, you know what I mean? Like, somehow, we just love understanding and putting things in little categories and, and putting them in our little, you know, mm-hmm. our little file folder, or like somehow going, okay, well, this behavior of Sarah's, now it makes sense because she was essentially an only child. But like, <laughs> I'm sure I could find eight other ways to make sense of it that if you weren't living that sort of I'm kind of an only child life, you know? And I feel like in the uh, other scenarios, it would also make sense as like the hobby that you're undertaking because whoever else is there who was otherwise occupied at the time. I was like, well, I had six brothers, but they all played three different sports. So you can imagine I was busy with my tapes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I appreciate that you can, that you also understand where I'm going with that. And I feel like the best thing I have going for me is my, at least my recognition of my ability to do that (laughs) instead of like batting myself on the back and deciding that I am a psychologist. That's uh, of nowhere near that, at least. I like to think that Many relatively intuitive people, myself included, could be credible police psychics and just every day get up and choose not to be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. 
Okay, so you didn't love school. You felt like there was effort expected of you in your high school、mm. that you would rather expend elsewhere. Was it a public school? Was it a private school? What was the vibe like of the high school that you went to? It was a private school, and it was. I mean, this. I think of it as having this complicated legacy for me because a, it was a place where there was this idea that students. Starting at the age of like fourteen, we're like interesting and intelligent. It's course, it's important to, you know, be able to articulate what you think, and you know, your mind is going to be useful in the world. And then that was also coupled inevitably with the way education works, which is that it's a product that you're selling parents. And so I think on some level. That's always going to be connected to like you will have the best child. We're going to give you the、mm-hmm. best child when we're done with them, and that involves you know achieving in a lot of areas that I think some kids care about and a lot of kids don't, and、hmm. some of them seem useful in the long term and some of them don't. And so I think my memory is just of being kind of automatically given a full plate. <laughs> Of、uh-huh. best child achievement to do, and I was, and it's, you know, it's like going to a big dinner and just being like, I really just want like a roll and some asparagus and some of that punch.、Right. Like people are gonna look、right. at you funny. <laughs> right, right. What uh does so does does that include like extracurricular activities? Is like here's a full plate academically, and that's also going to include our expectation that you will be staying after at school for this. Club meeting, or for this rehearsal, or for this, or where you sort of cut loose at the end of a day, and you could go be you and make mixtapes and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a big extracurricular person, but it was definitely, I think, pretty standard issue to to do that, and for your parents to expect you to do that. I kind of, I got older, tireder parents who were kind of thrilled to not have to do extra driving, and so that worked、uh-huh. in my, in what I felt was my favor at the time, but. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I think I had this feeling, which I think was partly my baggage and partly what I was actually observing, which was that anything, any kind of option for an activity was like yet another way to be good or bad at something, and to be therefore a more competitive、mm-hmm. college applicant. And and I, what I really regret is the way that everything felt so oriented toward college, and how I completely bought into that. And I also had this feeling of like. I'm going to go to a college where things are less competitive than this, and where I can be myself. But also, everything is going to get better at college, which is the exact、mm. mindset that has you, you know, taking your accomplishments too seriously when you're like 14. And、mm. so it sort of、yeah. has the it's like an oxymoron. It's like a sort of <laughs> ironic effect where. You feel like nothing should matter until you get there, but getting there means everything has to matter because where you go is going to be so incredibly important. Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a lot of energy that you might regret expending that way. That's how I、For、see、sure. it now. Was it coed or was it?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a coed school. I did go to a, a girls' school for a few years as well because my parents.、Uh, we moved to Hawaii where we lived for five years when I was growing up, and so I went to a girls' school there, which was I don't know. I think like the the funniest thing about that in retrospect is that just living in a world entirely of girls and not really thinking about it after a little while, you know, it just kind、yeah. of the、uh, that stopped. Being something I noticed pretty quickly, it was funny.、Hmm. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford, and I'm Christian Weatherford, and we've got big feelings about animals that we just gotta share. On just the zoo of us, your new favorite animal review podcast. We're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of ten on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes, informed by actual, real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
So you've probably heard about microdosing, and if you search a bit on the internet, you will find all sorts of people who are microdosing to feel healthier and perform better. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC, I love that term, that help you feel just the right amount of good. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I started my journey, my relationship to Microdose Gummies as a person who has a checkered history with old-school marijuana and a real kind of nervousness around THC. I am so happy to report that all of my hopes and dreams about this have come true. Wonderfuls, one thing is they really do taste and feel amazing. And I've eaten some really gross edibles. So it's delightful that these taste so delicious. I have used them to help me get in the zone when doing creative work. Uh, At night, they definitely help me wind down, kind of chill out sleep like a baby, all very important things to me, all things I very much need. So all around, I have to say they are a 10 out of 10 for me. Microdose is available nationwide, which is awesome. And to learn more about microdosing THC, you can do a quick search online, or you can definitely go to microdosegummies.com. And if you use code JVCLUB to get free shipping and 30% off your first order, you ain't gonna be disappointed. I can't believe I had to use ain't, but it is what it is. And it ain't what it ain't. Links can be found in this episode show description. But again, that's microdosegummies.com and code JVCLUB. If I can do it, I'm pretty sure anyone can who's of the legal age. So did you go straight from girls' school to co-ed private high school? Mm-hmm. Co-ed, eighth grade, and then started high school right after that because it was a it was a K through twelve school. But yeah, and that was that's a funny time to suddenly be with boys again. Yeah, that's where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm going with that. That feels like a lot. That feels like a yeah. lot. It was a lot. You need a more gradual introduction, I think. You know, you need to like be because it, it's funny, too, because it's like they went behind a curtain and then they came out. And yes. then, of course, boys in eighth grade are like some of them look like they're in fifth grade and some of them look like they're in 12th grade. And it's such a strange uh, variety of humans. Yeah. Wait, I'm 5'10". Are you also tall? Yeah. I have a sense of you being tall. Like maybe you've <laughs> spoken about that before. Um, so you had the same experience. I prob- I mean, you probably did where you were always. Yeah like the person in the dead center back row of school pictures and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And everyone was smaller than you, especially boys, for quite some mm-hmm. time. So you get it. I'm still waiting Did- for them to catch up. A lot of them haven't. How tall are you? I'm 6'1". Yeah, there you go. I I, had a lot, I mean, I actually had... It makes you wonder, like, I could categorically say I would not say that my tall girlfriend's height had anything to do with us becoming friends. Mm-hmm. But I did have, like, a probably disproportionate amount of tall girlfriends. So I'm I've never thought about that before. Suddenly I'm wondering <laughs> suddenly I'm wondering if there's there's something going on there that some yeah. sort of shared experience that it, it, at least acted as a kind of magnet, you know, even if you don't realize consciously that that's happening. Did you have that or were you uh the tall one among shorter girls? It's funny cuz I have always had tall close friends and I definitely gravitate towards other tall women and have there is this kind of Highlander sense right of like of sharing experience in that way but I also especially in high school had a ton of short friends and I do tend to have close friends who are like very short so I guess what I'm saying is that I have no time for medium-sized women (laughs) (laughs) don't bother don't bother ladies don't even bother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you did you have uh, leaving boys alone aside mm-hmm. for, you know, obviously it doesn't matter gender wise, mm-hmm. but did you have crushes uh, and were you exploring any of those? Were you dating anyone or, or seeing anyone or holding anyone's hand, sweaty hand? I was I held like a couple of sweaty hands, but like I there were so few students where I went to school. This is like the baggage that I carry like everyone else's is based on things that I would have revised about my adolescence. And what I feel now is like, you got to have a better selection, Sarah. You can't keep shopping at the same (laughs) farmer's market every week and wondering why you don't want any of the squash that the two squash (laughs) vendors have. 
all, all my metaphors are food based today. Um, <laughs> I'm on board for it. It's a it's a it's a it's a basic need. It's something I think everyone can relate to. Yeah, you know. It's, it's so not true. like if you were talking about like I can't keep going to the small uh, boutique gem and mineral fair. Right. I can't keep picking up the same agate to over buy and over. The, the Thirty again. or forty agates that we all need at the market every That's week. Right. That's um, right. Yeah, but I think I remember the the feeling. I remember like kind of actively searching for people to like, and definitely mm. had little crushes, but it was always just with like the pretty guys in my class yeah. like and it was just with this I do remember this feeling of like this is just you're just searching this is just prettiness you're not mm-hmm. you know you're not seeing what you're you're looking for in the selection so you're like just sort of selecting something so you have something to select I did have raging crashes on fictional people obviously but that's like par for the course I assume I got to get into, you know what? I'm going to save that for my mash game that I play at the end of every episode because then I can really, I could nice. I can get some more, uh, some more juice out of you on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and did you have a sense of, were you one of these um, people that I find to be fascinating and uh, that I feel some envy towards who have a really strong sense of kind of who they are and where they're headed? I mean, when you talked about college as being the potential experience to sort of things would get good. But did you have a sense of yourself as, you know, a writer or a future journalist or a future ballerina? Uh, Was there something that felt like it was projecting out into your adulthood that Mm -hmm. uh, had a shape, even if school wasn't a part of getting there? I was very sure starting at the age of like seven that I wanted to be a writer. And that was always very clear for me. And I think that was also part of how I started visualizing the way that I was kind of putting a lot of stuff off until adulthood because I think in retrospect like there was a lot of stress in my household when I was growing up and just kind of adults behaving in unpredictable ways like they would be very present and loving and things would be harmonious one day and then things would be very quiet and tense the Mm. next day and you wouldn't really know why or how Mm to avert that and so I think that I again like in retrospect I've realized this I started kind of just kind of like folding stuff up and saving it for an eventual adulthood and Hmm. kind of had this attitude growing up that I really like I don't know I can't regret it because I only realized recently that that was even something that was happening but I think just kind of had this sense of of childhood and adolescence as something that you wait out to get through it and Mm -hmm. then you can take control over your life and then you can do all the fun stuff from romantic comedies like meet John Cusack one night and then write your phone number in a book for him to find years later sure (laughs) um and so I think like bundling all of my aspirations towards being a writer was one way to do that. And weirdly, I think that I would have been like possibly a little bit less obsessively future oriented about it if there are more outlets for kids to write before adulthood. Because I do think it's the kind of thing where unless you're doing like a kid newspaper or you're on the school newspaper, if you have one that you're able to work on or something like that, it's funny to me that writing, I think, has fewer outlets in childhood than most art forms, as far as I yeah. can tell. It's a little vendetta yeah. I have. Yeah, you're. I, th- I mean, I think you're right. Because because every time I have friends, uh, a lot of friends that come from the journalism world and the creative creative writing world, um, and it's always so it's always exciting and special when someone has like a great creative writing program for kids that exists outside of school and is kind of like a writing camp uh, in a way. Or, you know, it's true, like the school newspaper, which I had zero interest in. I loved writing, but I don't remember ever being like, I need to report on what's happening in this environment. because I need to get the scoop on the (laughs) JV hockey game. Yeah. Yeah. That was not where my interest in writing was would have ever been directed I don't think mm-hmm. and so yeah I agree with you I agree with you and I, I think that should be something and I think because it's almost like because it's something that everyone knows you can just do by yourself it's like a foregone conclusion like well if kids right. are into writing they they could they know they could just go home and write 
What's stopping them?、Mm-hmm. Opposed to taking tennis or learning how to sculpt and needing a you know a wheel and a kiln or you know those sorts of things that we sort of think of as needing to be more organized and that there's more instruction happening. Whereas with writing, unless you're really focusing in on that, and、mm-hmm. or it's because you're writing a book report or because you're writing you know something you're doing something that involves a test or what have you,、mm-hmm. uh, that that often you're you're kind of left to your own devices. Like, well, if you like writing, just、uh, I don't know. Why don't you write something? Write in your journal. Figure it out. Yeah, it's fine. Again, I guess we assume that it needs less cultivation because it's something that all kids are expected to be able to do at least passably well, and it's not like you have to sort of play a little flute to get through the day every day at school. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That would、Everything、be amazing. Everything just gets. Turned on its head, and suddenly now the, the there's the, the you have to have just a little harp. Just there's just yeah, there's a lot of harps sitting around, and、uh, that's what、uh, that just comes into play. Answer math questions in the form of harp. Ah,、uh, I I would love a world where the harpists are in charge. I think they would be pretty just. Right. <laughs> It's true that I guess I don't know many harpists. That's not one that comes up. A lot of when I speak、weddings. to people who yeah when I speak to people who 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 played in the band there's a lot of oboe and flute and violin、um, but yeah I think I don't know you're probably not going to have that option expressed to you that seems almost like something that happens within the family which by the way I'm sure、mm-hmm. isn't true but somehow it seems like well my grandfather was a harpist. And my mom also played the harp, so there we had a harp. I mean, it does help、uh, to have a harp. I bet there are like harp dynasties around that we're not <laughs> hearing about. <laughs> I always say that's about about people who have birds too. That for some reason that feels like there's a wall behind which people who think to get birds, and I don't、mm-hmm. mean like a parakeet here or there. I mean like an African gray or、right. something that's going to live seventy five years. Like that feels like a thing that wouldn't occur to me unless I had been around. Other bird、mm-hmm. owners ubiquitously enough that it would make sense to me. Does that do you know what I mean? Totally. Versus like almost all other kind of there are bird、pets. families and there are non-bird、yeah. and also like there's I think there's tortoise families and I'm sure part of this is <gasps>、yes. that these animals outlive their owners sometimes. So、yeah. you just have、yes. to keep being a tortoise family. You have to keep being a tortoise family. It's <laughs> a legacy that you will be attached to for a very long time. Did you have pets? Did you have any pets? Yeah, we always had cats.、Uh, we had a collie named Jess when I was little, and then we had a, a terrier mix named Bogey when I was older. We were definitely cat people, though. I think we like we loved dogs, but we understood cats. That's interesting. I don't. I, I guess I don't know that many people who would who would dabble in dogs and also be sort of <laughs> recognizably cat people to themselves.、Yeah. My mom and I are at least definitely cat people, and I think of that as a demeanor thing. Like I would love to be more like a dog, but like when something new happens, I have to go lie under the couch for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different attachment of qualities than I think we are used to generically when people make dog and cat comparisons, right? Like. Mostly, being a cat means you're more sophisticated. It's like understood that that means that you're、mm. more sophisticated and aloof versus like giddy and jumpy and friendly in some way.、Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about the anxiety of the cat needing a moment. Yeah, sometimes you need a moment. I think that, like, I mean, one of the things that prejudices me toward cat people if I'm, you know, meeting a new friend or. Uh, you know, on a date or something, is I feel like a cat person knows that sometimes you need a moment. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I don't know what that says about me because I only was a cat person for most of my life, and then when my seventeen-year-old cat died, I didn't have that person in my life who was. In fact, I did the absolute wrong thing, which was I she died, and then I immediately. Agreed to adopt two tiny kittens,、mm-hmm. and then one of them just totally died,、oh, like、God. real quick, like within two weeks. And so, rather than it being that thing where someone sort of holds your hand and says, "I know you think you can never replace this cat, and it's not about replacing; it's about having a whole other space in your heart that this other cat can occupy, and、mm-hmm. it doesn't have anything to do with how much you loved Luca. In my case, Luca." 
but I, I had enough people saying, you know, you there are so many animals that need to be rescued and, you know, you have the space in your life now. And and so I, I, I really rebounded super fast with two kittens. And then when that one died, I was completely <sighs> just so scarred. I mean, it was raw. Yeah. And I had a friend who was like, I, I called her after that kitten died and she was genuinely concerned about me. She was like, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone cry this hard over the phone. Are you, <laughs> I'm worried something else is going on. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And, and so I just never went back and I be, sort of became a dog person. Mm. But so much of that came from like the trauma of those experiences, like sandwiching together. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think kitten fostering would be great. And I think that I don't have the right strength of character to do it because like it involves death if you're taking care of, you know, the, the tiny and fragile. And I mean, yeah, he yeah. just like got sick and, and but it knew, <sighs> stopped eating. You don't, And then they don't even know. They're just they just go. And this was years ago. And I'm still, as you could tell, totally like yeah. shocked and appalled by it. But just like, oh, he's just, you know. Some of the litter just doesn't make it. You know, they'll live for a little while and then they just kind of croak. <laughs> like, that's so arbitrary. Why are you telling me this? I can't handle this information. <laughs> this reminds me Ugh. of the, I guess, Red Pet Cemetery and in his foreword, Stephen King talks about being inspired to write it partly because they were living on the same, you know, terrifying road that ends up in the book and his daughter's cat got killed, um, hit by a car. His daughter's cat in real life was named Smucky. And he saw his daughter, I think, jumping up and down on the driveway saying, God can have his own cat. I want my cat. Oh, I'll tell you, that dude really pays attention to kids and how kids think and yeah. then writes pretty damn good stories. I, I feel like people. it's like this. I mean, he has lots of tricks in his bag, but I love that one of his great tricks is like, have some kids. Observe yeah. them closely. Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much about the the book it that has so little like the fact that there's an evil clown has so little bearing on what makes that. I mean, it's got some real problems. We all agree as as does Stephen yes. King, but setting However. those aside for a second. <laughs> setting those setting one giant thing that I somehow like wiped from my mind over and over again every time I went back to it I would be through my life I'd be like oh god I forgot about this part how did yes. I wipe my mind of this I've erased it emotionally but it's the thing that that is such an amazing quality of the book is that that the is the relationships between the kids I mean that's what I show up for I mean yes oh, yeah. the scary stuff is super super scary and that's exciting and, you know, it has an amazing pace to it. But the relationships, I mean, that's very much one of those, like, I know those kids. Yeah. I don't, I'm not saying I know kids like them. I mean, I know those kids. Yeah. Because of Stephen King, you know? It's more like now and then than a lot of people realize. Yeah. Now and then is really like it without the clown. What about how to make an American quilt? Wasn't that another female yeah, now and then right totally. around the same time? Yeah. That's the one where Winona Ryder gets to have sex with an orchard in an orchard. I'm sorry, not with an orchard. That would be <laughs> although a different that might have been movie. the best thing about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I guess I think it's funny. I just read it this past summer and I've been on a Stephen King jag because I think that has been one of my ways of relearning reading because I think my brain just got so fried by the toll of the pandemic that actually reading became hard for me for a while. And that was very Mm. funny because I was always one of those kids, the same way that kids who are on their phones get complained about now. I feel like we never talk about this anymore. I was always one of those kids who adults complained about always having a book in front of her face. This is true. Adults used to be like, my kid is reading too much. Yeah. Well, I definitely was the kid. I mean, this sounds like I must have gotten it from a movie because this is a this is a trope. But I definitely was the kid who would be like holding my book, walking to school and like tripping and breaking my nose. Like very much like I can't if there's a way I can do this and do something else, I will try it until it fails. It's like looking at a phone while walking. We invented that move. (laughs) Yeah, we invented that move. (laughs) Hey, 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 dangerous. (laughs) Still dangerous. (laughs) Um, Okay, and so were there things in school, and then we'll get into this MASH game, in Mm -hmm. high school that you did 
identify with within kind of your curriculum that felt like, all right, well, at least I have this or at least I have this teacher who mm-hmm. kind of gets me and understands that, you know, maybe my prose is a little purpley when it's just a, a history of, you know, World War II. Although mm-hmm. what better place to be purple prosy it's than so World true. War II? So never mind. I take all of that back. But like something that would maybe just be dry that you get to sort of flourish a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I I always had good English teachers along the way, and I had some really great ones. And I think um, that was what I always loved about English was that even when I was being adversarial about it, and I was like, I'm not going to read my Antonia, that time would be better spent writing Newsies fan fiction. I would still like, <laughs> in my attempt to bullshit my way through a paper about something I hadn't read, like be busting out these highfalutin sentences, highfalutin, a word I learned from Newsies, um, <laughs> and would have teachers who were like, okay, I can tell you're bullshitting me, but like, that was a good sentence. Let's work good on bullshit. this. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's hone this bullshit. Let's make it tighter. Yeah. So I guess I think I, and then I really, I right toward the end of high school, I got into, I had a really good playwriting class and oh, nice. got into theater stuff and did a little bit of that in college and feel like whether I return to that discipline ever or not, that's baked into my my DNA now. Mm. At least you got to, yeah, playwriting was not something I got to even think about until college. That was definitely yeah. a class that would not have been offered at my, bless its heart, public high school, large <laughs> public high school. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Okay, let's get into this MASH game, but don't mm-hmm. think that I didn't hear you say Newsies fan fiction. So if you're oh, telling me that you actually wrote some fan fiction, Newsies or otherwise, that is very impressive to me. <laughs> and also, I haven't seen Newsies. No, I have seen Newsies, but I don't. I have not seen the play. I've only seen when, that movie that came out one time. I haven't I seen really the remember. play either because that's it's after my time. I'm sure it's great. They like cleared up some screenwriting problems, but like I don't care. They're my screenwriting problems. I love them. <laughs> yeah. I get it. That's one of the things that I love. I mean, just in in conversations about film and and what's great about your podcast. I I, I just I love the willingness that we that some people have, myself included, to sort of dig into that stuff and kind of unpack. You know, like I can't walk away entirely from this thing, even though this, this, and this are really problematic for me, or not for me, but for other people, or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. And just like being willing to sort of examine that and not just kind of put it in a box and then put a big X over the box and then you mm. know, push the box out into the water for it to sink. Like that's, mm. you know, I want those conversations to be to, to continue selfishly. Yeah. Um, because I love it helps me, me understand myself and our and our current culture and our past culture. Um, that's a great lens. It's like never not going to be a great lens to use to figure out yourself and other stuff or never figure that out. But at least have like, you know, a language you can use to to talk about how puzzled you are. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, yeah, to me, the question of like, is this movie, is this like 90s Hollywood movie problematic in some way is kind of pointless because it's like, it almost certainly is, right? Like it almost right. has to be. And then the question is, uh, what is it doing? What is it offering? What is it taking away? And how did it help make us? Right. Right. And by the way, you want to go, I mean, like, good luck with us going any further back than the 90s on anything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Most things that got made were still a product of their times in some way, even if they're wildly ahead of their time. You know, 
subjectively mm-hmm. speaking. All right, let's get into the Smash game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first category I would like to do with you is... Let's get right into it. Mash game usually involves crushes. Let's get right into some crushes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put you in a position where as an adult woman, I'm like <laughs> making you be in a relationship with, you know, River Phoenix or whatever. But at the same time, in this world where we're sort of suspending everything and it is an alternate universe where anything is possible, um, if part of it is just about recapturing the feeling that you had at that age about a crush on someone, I think we all understand that. And no one is saying that like you and 15 year old Leonardo DiCaprio is, you know, pedophilia. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, as he is now, he's just like a lovely guy who looks like he should be eating a hoagie. That's fair right. game. That's right. He really leaned into it. So three crushes, three people, three fictional characters. Let's keep them fictional. Mm, okay. Three fictional characters that uh, from any era that uh, we're going to insert in some way, either short or long term, into mm-hmm. this alternate universe, this mash world that we're nice. creating for you. Okay, I'm going to give you three fictional adolescent crushes, and I'm trying to give you some ones that you haven't heard so many times before. All right. Dan Rydell from Sports Night. (laughs) Let's go straight to Sports Night. (laughs) Which was on Comedy Central in like the Uh, year 2000. And I used to watch it all the time. And I loved it. Whenever people talk about Aaron Sorkin, I'm like, you know what? He was pretty good when he did Sports Night. (laughs) (laughs) The craziest thing about that for sure is the audience like having canned laughter and then somebody going, I don't know why we... And that the fact (laughs) that it was preserved, like I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to just whisk in and like, just like go ahead and mute all that and just let it it be without that. But the fact that like, no, it's going to be in there. That's part of history. Like we're not, we're going to leave that preserved. It's like, Aaron, where are these people supposed to be sitting? We're zooming around. We're going (laughs) down hallways. Yeah. It's the angels. The angels are (laughs) laughing at what's happening. (laughs) That's true. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And Dan Rydell was played by who, wait, which character is Dan Rydell? He is the um, desk anchor with brown hair, which means he's played by Josh Charles, also of oh, yeah, Dead Poets Society. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Josh Charles. Sure, <laughs> Dan Rydell. Josh Charles. He's Josh Charles. That's hard right. for me to say. Josh Charles. <laughs> That's why it's good that it never worked out, because I would have had to say his name so many times and it would sound uh, awkward. You'd have just called him Dan Rydell. It would have been That's fine. so true. <laughs> uh, okay. Dan. We got Dan Rydell. Hit yeah. me two more. Okay. Jerry Orbach as Lenny Briscoe on Law and Order. I said it. (laughs) Amazing. And what's another authentic teen crush? You know what? I've been trying to avoid saying this one, but because it keeps popping into mind, that means I have to say it. (laughs) Amadeus in Amadeus is played by Tom Hulse. Tom Hulse. Huge hottie. Yeah. So we've got Mozart. Dan Rydell (laughs) and Lenny Briscoe. That's great. great. You got some real, some real career men in here. I just went straight to men. Yeah, that's a that's a very funny thing. I was, I I actually, yeah, but like you know, yeah, there, yeah, you straight to men, career men. Obviously, uh, Wolfgang has uh, he's he's got some Peter Pan syndrome or whatever it is that was going on with his beautiful pink. So does Dan. They're all, um, yeah, they're all so like kind that's of true. established guys that are big smart asses. That's my that's still my type. So, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I absolutely get it. Uh, okay, next one. Let's do three places in the world that you would love to have a second home. Doesn't have to be a vacation home. Could still hmm. be like busy, busy city life home. But three places in the world that you would love to have a second home if we could just sort of teleport you there, so you didn't have to worry about the travel. This is such a fun game, I have to say. Um, oh, good. Okay. Let's just say Las Vegas. It's a fun city, and it would be fun to be there with any of my bachelors. Great. Great. <laughs> um, okay. So one time, this is a high school memory. I was crazy for National Geographic. It's a sentence you hear a lot. And <laughs> there was this picture one time just in a victorial about, I think about Brooklyn. And it was a clock tower where these people lived. They lived behind the clock, like in the face of the clock. It was a little, reminds me of um, the great mouse detective a little bit. And so inside a clock in New York City. Great. Yeah. 
and then the Florida Keys. Okay. Uh, next category, let's do three foods that in this reality are either hard to come by because you had it one time in this one place and you've never been able to sort of find its its uh, mm. equal. Or it can be, you know, everything in this world is not bad for you and is not bad for the environment. So if it's a big mm. juicy steak that you wouldn't normally eat in this world, mm-hmm. it's fine. Uh, or if it's just, you know, three bags of marshmallows without feeling sick, mm-hmm. uh, you can do whatever you want with this category. Oh, I love that. Okay. So first I would say Vianetta because it's one of those, I don't think they're making it anymore, at least domestically. But do you remember the Vianetta ads from like the early 90s? I think so. Well, maybe I don't. <laughs> um, so Vianetta was like, it looked like sort of ice cream lasagna. I never had it until I was yeah, in okay. South America in grad school and I had it there. But the ads were like people with very fancy hands. So they had like big red manicures. They're wearing tuxedos or something. And they're at a fancy dinner party. Uh-huh. And then everyone gets their slice of Vianetta. And then there's one slice left. And people are like twisting their napkins and stressing about it. And so the slogan is Vianetta. One slice is never enough. Which in my head is connected to the Fancy Feast <laughs> ad, which was Lauren Bacall saying, good taste is easy to recognize. So like cat food and ice cream were the two fanciest things in the 90s. You are a cat person. You are a, a cat, cat person. person. <laughs> a cat person understands Vianetta. That's so true. Right. You get your Vianetta and you give your Fancy Feast to your cat and then you just yeah. have your... Mm-hmm. Okay. If memory serves, is the Fancy, feed ca- fancy Feast cat eating out of the can... Or I is it like she's they eating tip it out onto of, a little like a it's like a cut glass, like a crystal <laughs> something, which the Vianetta people were yeah. also eating out of. So yeah. it's probably the same household. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austrian crystal. You're eating out of Austrian crystal. Yeah. Okay. I I just really love plain potato chips. I think they're an unimprovable food. I I love flavored potato chips, but I honestly think plain ones deserve some more love. So plain potato chips. And I mean, just like a perfect piping hot pizza margarita, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. I like that you've got some sweet and some savory in here. Yeah. Uh, That pleases me. Okay. Next category. (laughs) Let's do three alternate universe careers. um, And we're sort of casting off the inevitable downsides that every career has. But this is like the sort of highlights. Hmm. I can only assume sportscaster, composer, <laughs> and cop. <laughs> well, you need something that that mesh that like it would be interesting. I'm interested in what blend we end up with and what kind of home life that suggests. But my first mm-hmm. thought is, again, this is just the first thing that popped into my head, and I would have thought I would not have thought I'd say this, but historical house tour guide person. So like, right. You know, like the person who oh, yes. gives tours at the Poe House or something like that. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. Romance novel writer, because I wrote one romance novel one time and it was really fun. And it would be really fun to just like write stories full time. And yeah, I think that and then you could get to research the different historical periods you were setting sure. stuff in and travel with one of your three possible boyfriends. Um <laughs> Okay. Tour guide, romance writer, and oh, <laughs> wreck diving treasure hunter. Oh, I was great. at the Maritime Museum in Nova Scotia a few years ago, and they were like, you know, there's like one billion shipwrecks around Nova Scotia and a lot of treasure hunters around here because the weather's so terrible and so on. And ever since then, I've just been like, oh, my God, there's people hunting for treasure every day. And I yes. didn't even think about them until now. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> I have I desperately wish that I could. It's not so much that I want to go back. And this will be the next category. So I'll intro it this way. I. It's not that I want to go and really see in Veritas, the Barbary Coast of San Francisco, I think it would probably be really uncomfortable and upsetting in some ways. But I would love to see, to just be able to just go down and see all of the shipwrecks that's that the Embarcadero yeah. has been built on. Just oh see it, gosh. to be able to go and just cut, you know, cut a slice of it and my own slice of Vianetta, exactly. uh, Barbary Coast history, <gasps> and just look at the layers and sort of have from there have my imagination fill out 
the rest, I think it would be so amazing. So three places in time that you would like to see and you're in a safety bubble, so nothing bad's going to happen to you. So it could be a certain <laughs> era you would like to experience or it could be, you know, a great mystery that you you yourself would finally be able to actually see what happened so you would know. Um, wow. Anything like that. Well, I mean, if you mention mysteries, then now I feel like I have to set up like a... Um, warming center and tip line in victorian london so we can catch jack the ripper or the multiple assailants who became named jack the ripper Mm -hmm, and then meet mm -hmm. everybody and talk about what's in their pocket i'm fascinated by victorian women and their pockets because you know the pocket we learned this from the felicity doll i found this enchanting ever since the pocket is like you know a discreet piece of fabric that you put amongst your clothes to keep Uh... your things in We can talk about what everyone has in their pocket. And honestly, Victorian London would be kind of a huge bummer in a lot of ways, but a really, but so interesting, (laughs) such an interesting bummer. So yeah, from one interesting bummer to another. Uh Let's see. Oh, and I could find a Victorian person to send here and then we can like discuss our impressions after we've both been here (laughs) in our respective places. Um, Let's see. I would, okay, I would love to just um, meet Utsi, the Iceman, <laughs> because uh-huh. yep. he was just like wandering across Europe. Maybe he was a shepherd, just like have dinner with him. I don't need to see who killed him or whatever. I'm only solving one yeah. mystery here today, but uh, just like great. walking around with Utsi, that would be great. Um, and then I really want to ride a woolly mammoth. I want to go back to right. like the woolly mammoth times and befriend. And then, and like they don't have to be friendly. If it seems like a bad idea to be like mammoth woman, then I can just admire them from a distance. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Okay. Uh, next category, let's do three people that we're bringing from, they can be fictional characters or they can be real people from any time in history uh, that you would love to sort of have be a confidant or a mentor or just someone that you could spend time with whenever you felt like it in this sort of in-between limbo place where it's not so much that, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to, that you do have to bring someone Victorian into a modern cafe, Mm -hmm. but it's, but that the conversation can exist however and wherever. This is an amazing game of MASH. Okay. So based on my own personal concept of Shakespeare, I want Shakespeare because I just in my head have it that he's like a fun guy you know, kind of youngish Shakespeare. And I don't know, I just feel like Shakespeare would be like, would have some good gossip and be a fun person to talk to in a coffee house. I kind of feel that way about Oscar Wilde too. Right. Oh yeah. I, I feel like that's, that has to be true. Um, And then Shakespeare would drink some coffee and be like, what the hell is this? Um, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, Fictional Jeeves from Jeeves and Worcester, because he could help, you out of any imaginable jam and also seems yes. like a cool guy and gosh i'm oh um <laughs> i just thought about every character in the princess bride but none of them really work as individuals <laughs> um like they all, they're more of an ensemble <laughs> yeah you do need the set um hmm who do i like who's a fictional person who i pretend to talk or non-fictional. to or non-fictional, right? We can have either. Um, oh, well, let's just say Harpo Marx because we we were already talking about harp and then like then there could be more harp ah, in my life. Yes, indeed. Wonderful. Okay, this uh, this may be a gift to you based on what you just said about The Princess Bride, but the next category is three films that you can jump into. You're not a character in it. You're not reliving Ooh. the plot. It's just you getting into that world, uh, escaping into that world whenever oh, you God, want. Oh, God, that's so, great. So the first thing that comes to mind is fame. But then I'm like, well, then you would be like, if you were part of that world, you would be an adult, which means that you wouldn't accomplish the goal of being a struggling young tap dancer. Um, Well, listen, if you want to, if part of going into that world of that movie is going in in a way in which it makes sense for you to be able to participate, then we can, we can, uh, you can imagine yourself as, as that, that person. You know what? I'm actually let's let's actually say flash dance because oh. that's like kind of that same aesthetic, but in a totally magic realist universe where like there's yeah. a steel mill downtown and everything. Um, you get your Bruce Springsteen <laughs> vibes and yes. your super creative arts fame vibes. 
Yeah, exactly. It combined. You get your weird screenplay by Joe Esterhaas. <laughs> yeah, I definitely saw that movie as a child and was very titillated by it, like was very, very aware. I feel like there was like on a loop the sentence, this is a grown-ups movie. This is a grown-ups <laughs> movie. This is a grown-ups movie. It was like playing in my head the entire time. Yeah. I love that movie. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, I mean... I got I you to the, see it on the big screen when uh, AFI brought it back for, and I was like, "This was worth." I would have paid fifty dollars to sit and oh watch God, this yeah. in just a regular theater, which I did. That but it was not amazing. $50. But yeah, flash dance, amazing, amazing. Because yeah, that's again what my friend Jenna calls a movie ass movie. I feel like I quote it's her a movie ass movie. It's, Agreed, one hundred percent. It's funny, like a lot. I'm I'm th- I'm like flicking through like ensemble movies that I love, but when I think about the actual circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intense. So like The Big Chill and Dead Poets <laughs> Society, both of which involve suicide yeah. Yeah. Um, and are really sad when you get right down to it. Yeah. Um, but I think the the thing that because I uh, I absolutely identify with with both of those choices, mm-hmm. the, the idea of the the sort of the bonding, the it's it's a bunch of intellectual anxious folks um who are adorable and and there's this fierce bonding that happens there's you know what i mean like that right you see why the the appeal is there because it is this oh, sort yeah. of, and that catharsis of you know an incredibly intense like we can't turn away from the way life sometimes is kind of ness yeah. of it i totally I, I mean i think that my my instinct would be to go someplace like that as well yeah and that that's that's where the chance for intimacy is and yeah, yeah that's very revealing I guess, well, okay, I will, to go in an opposite direction, but one still involving Jeff Goldblum, I will say Earth Girls are easy because, like, there has to be an actual musical in here. Um, And that, because everything works out for everybody in that story. Great. Um, And after that, I was like, Titanic. No, Sarah, not Titanic. Um, (laughs) Goodfellas, because that's, like, I'm a side person. I won't, I haven't done anything important i won't get killed i guess get to enjoy the aesthetic that's right that's right i think you've you've mapped that out perfectly keep yourself safe (laughs) enjoy the aesthetic fantastic okay final category let's do three artists in whatever capacity they're an artist three from whenever wherever that you would be able to collaborate with on some level now this of course brings in the idea of like some artists being probably horrible people and you would never mm. want to collaborate with them so it's there's there's a dark side to this category but it could be you know a painter i don't know what that looks like maybe you recorded an album and they did the cover or it could be a poet or it could be a novelist or it could be a filmmaker it could be mm. a, a a composer that you know scored the film that you make um some sort of collaboration between you and three uh, artistic creator types yeah okay so <laughs> i'm going to collaborate with Stevie Nicks and Bruce Springsteen, who have to work together at some point, but not that I can think of, um, to do an ice ballet musical thing with Surya Bonali, the most underutilized skater of the 90s. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's I ran out of room, but I will remember everything that went along with Stevie Nicks and Bruce Springsteen. Uh Okay, so wait, is that three or is that like, are those three separate things? That was three. That well, you, yeah, that it can be with but any you just of them put them individually. all together. Yeah. But I, you're only I, supposed I, to end up with one. Oh, that's, well, then it'll have to be one of them. Like, I, I would work okay, with, Stevie with any Nicks, of them, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, and I have no idea how to And Surya Bonali, the skater, S-U-R-Y-A. It was a lot easier than I thought it was. Okay. All right. Um, give me a, a word that describes uh, your mood when you woke up this morning. Obviously, it's a gross generalization, mm. but whatever pops to mind. Cold. <laughs> Great. Okay. I am going to uh, come up with your 100% guaranteed MASH future results. If you would not mind, in the time I'm doing this, telling people where they can find you, what they should be listening to of yours, etc. Yeah. So I am the host of You're Wrong About. I am the co-host of You Are Good. There are two podcasts available wherever you like to get podcasts. It's none of my business. And we got some good episodes up on there. You're Wrong About is 
as we record this, doing a three-part series on the Amityville horror. And there's a New Year's episode of You Are Good about Titanic, which I think is pretty great. Okay. I have your results. Uh, it's a. It, there's a lot going on here. I'm very excited <laughs> about all of it. I think... Uh, you, I think you're going to be very busy. Um, mm-hmm. There is uh, an emphasis in some cases on some uh, some some relationships to the past that I am very excited to see play out. Um, the first thing I'm going to say is uh, I love the idea of <laughs> I don't know. Do I want to tell you right away what person you end up with? Maybe I should. Maybe I'm going to have that. I'm going to hold off on these two okay. categories and I'll start with something else. Okay. okay. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your apartment in the Florida Keys. Ooh, nice. Uh, I don't know what that means, but that is what you got since Ma- Mash's Mansion Apartment Shack or House. You have a charming apartment somewhere in the Florida Keys. I want to congratulate you on your ongoing relationship uh, of friendship and good times with your buddy Harpo Marx. Nice. I want to also say that I am very impressed that you have this opportunity to collaborate with Stevie Nicks. Mm. What I would like to see happen is perhaps the two of you end up collaborating on uh, a project that sort of like a like a mystical white witch sort of empathy album about Jack the Ripper's victims <laughs> as women in in a world in which they you know they they had they were faced with many trials and tribulations that mm-hmm. we don't necessarily think about all the time and so uh i feel like there's something there i hate to put that on you because you can do whatever you want with stevie nicks but the fact that you've been able to go back and see what's in everyone's pockets <laughs> are you gonna tell me that landslide might as well be a song about what's in your pockets don't it you might think as stevie well nicks would do that like i think she yeah. would do this prog- like she did not necessarily like she will but they it's she could make that choice. I think so, too. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> uh, I want to congratulate you on your ability also to jump into flash dance whenever you want. Uh, That's a win. What a life. It's a big win. Very, very big win. A lot of arts, a lot of music happening here. And it doesn't stop there because while you are digging into at least one slice of Vianetta, <laughs> you are doing it with... Amadeus. <laughs> and then returning to your job of uh, taking someone on a tour through some sort of historical house or home. So we have people from the past in your present, but you are also facilitating like the remembering of a past that's gone. Or maybe somehow you're giving people a tour of like the palace that Mozart lived in, but also still lives in with you, right? Because he's your boyfriend. So there's a, there's some <laughs> there's some cool uh, tesseracting going on where things are just sort of folding in on themselves in a way that uh, that I really appreciate. I'd be like, think... what would Mozart say if he were here with us now? Maybe he would say, Sarah, what's the HBO Max password? That's where did right. you write it down? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, Sarah, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Uh, I'm a big fan. So it's been lovely talking to you one on one. And uh, I hope we get the opportunity to do some version of this again at some point. I would love that. Thank you so much. And I'm I feel like my adolescent self got everything she wanted today, which was to be heard and to get to talk about her grievances with the ninth grade and then to be matched with Mozart and live in Florida. (laughs) I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. Uh, Everybody else, thank you. I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is produced by Julian Burrell and Christian Duenas. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.